Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bioasis podcast. My name is Bilal Malik, and this is my co-host, Tom Gorski. Trenton can't make it this week due to a scheduling conflict, so it's just us this week. How are you, Tom? Doing pretty good. How's it going with you, man? Just glad to be here. Yeah, it's uh, getting to the start of the playoffs. We have our playoff matchups are set, and it's time to see who comes away with this in the next four weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I'd say this is the most exciting time to be a football fan right now. We got the playoffs. We got more than a quarter of the league who needs to hire a coaching staff. And there's three GM openings. So um, honestly, uh, I say let's just get started. There's a lot to talk about today. I'm excited. Yeah, so talking about the playoffs, our matchups have been set for this weekend starting tomorrow. Um, the Raiders are playing the, are at the Bengals. The Patriots are facing their AFC East rival, the Bills. The Eagles are playing the Bucks. San Francisco is playing the 49. San Francisco is playing the Cowboys. Um, the Steelers are playing the Chiefs, and the Cardinals are playing the Rams. So we'll get down to picking these games uh, later on in the bottom of the show, as we always do. But to start off with our headlines here, we have some news from the Indianapolis Colts, who apparently aren't committing to keeping Carson Wentz on their team for next year, even though they paid a huge price to trade him for Philadelphia last year. So I'd like to hear your take on that, Tom. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, they did not exceed expectations with Carson Wentz. Um, you know, they went – and when they traded for him, they didn't only give up a first-round pick and a conditional third. Um, they also took on the remaining of his contract. So they're, mm-hmm. they're stuck with about $105 million with Carson Wentz. And, yes, his numbers were, like, solid this year. But at the end of the day, you paid for, to get to the playoffs. Um, it's kind of similar to Minnesota with Kirk Cousins where they got to the NFC Championship game with Case Keenum, and the expectation was Kirk Cousins is going to take us to the next level. They've missed the playoffs three of the last four years. Phillip Rivers got them to the wild card game last year and they nearly beat Buffalo. And the expectation was Carson Wentz is the missing piece. Um, he, you know, he's back with Frank Wright and Frank Wright's going to fix them. And, you know, then the end point is, you know, Carson Wentz should at least get us to the wild card round or pass the wild card round. And he didn't. And, you know, when you, pay, when you pay like hefty for something um, you expect to get your return, you know, your, your return on investment. And, you know, the Colts didn't get that. And um, Chris Ballard is known as a very smart GM, one of the best in the game. And I think he overplayed his hand a little bit as Wentz single-handedly cost the Colts the final two weeks. I was at the Raiders game. He had two turnovers late in the game. And then against Jacksonville, he had three turnovers where all they had to do was just beat the Jaguars and they're in. And he couldn't do that. And the Jaguars owned the number one overall pick. So um, I just think overall with Indianapolis, it was just a really big disappointment and they're going to really need to evaluate themselves going forward with Wentz at the quarterback position at the quarterback position. Yeah. um, When you look at all the possible uh, playoff scenarios that were taking place over this past week, one common um, thread for some of these teams were that they needed the Jaguars to beat the Colts and everyone's like, it's not going to happen. Like the Steelers had like four different parts of their scenario to get in the playoffs. And looking at it, I thought, oh, uh, the first three are going to happen because they're, they, they can realistically happen. But the most unrealistic part, and which I thought would have kept the Steelers out of the playoffs, was the Colts losing to the Jaguars. And then the Colts lost to the Jaguars. And it's like, oh, the one thing the Colts needed to do was just beat the worst team in the league. And for the past, like, seven years in a row, going down to Jacksonville, something comes up and the Colts lost. And I know Carson Wentz, they gave up so much to get him. But at the same time, yeah, he was all right with his stats and stuff. And he was also out with the game with COVID and all those issues. But if they win that game, I think we can kind of overlook some of the downfalls because then you realize we are in the playoffs regular season's over forget about what happened however well we played however bad we played let's move on to the playoffs but now that you're 
sitting at home now and you have all this extra time now to reflect, it's like maybe if things went differently, we'd be in a different spot. But, um, and it, they gave up six sacks. Like the overall Colts team didn't play good. And when you lose to the Jaguars 26 to 11, it's, it's, it wasn't even a close game. So that's uh, an unfortunate situation for the Colts. But uh, we shall see what they do. I, I still think he stays. I don't think Indianapolis is going to risk it enough to either trade him or cut him or bring in another quarterback. I think he gets another year and fresh late. Let's see what happens. Yeah, um, I just don't think that contract's movable. And I think that's the most difficult part is I feel like they're kind of stuck with it. But they, they could free up like 10 million plus if they do cut him. It's just I can't see them doing that after giving everything they gave up for him. No, and also replacing him isn't also the easiest option. Like you have to find someone. He's a confident quarterback. He's not the best, but he's not the worst. He's kind of like the upper, upper middle level type quarterback. Like I would say top 13, top 13 to 15 in quarterbacks, possibly. I don't want to get in the rankings right now. We'll be here forever, but just give that idea of where I place him is. So he's not the best, but he's also not towards the bottom. Uh, Moving on, the Los Angeles Rams have brought safety Eric Weddle out of retirement to, uh, play for them in the playoffs after Jordan Fuller got injured. So it's an interesting sign. I think the man is, what, 37 years old, something in the late 30s, and coming out of retirement, he retired after the 2019 season and hasn't been around for a while. So we, uh, I mean, when you're in a desperate, desperate move and you got to get someone in there, He's not doing anything at the moment. Just call him in for a game or two. Yeah, um, you know, this this makes a lot of sense. Weddle has a very strong relationship with Sean McVay. Um, he knows the system, and Weddle's well-respected around the league. Um, this was kind of just like a quick fix. Um, I'm not even sure if he's going to start. He might just be there to fill a roster spot and hopefully get, you know, get a ring out of it. <laughs> you know, Rams are, you know, they have a good chance to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And even if he doesn't start, I mean, I think he'd be a capable backup in case something happened. Like, it's like when the Buccaneers grabbed Richard Sherman early on in the season. He was there, but then he got hurt. But at least he was – he wasn't their, like, number one option. He just needed – he was there because they needed someone there. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward, pairing him up with uh, Jalen Ramsey on the – outsides and see what happens there um ah there is a so recently there's been a lot of discussion about the sale of the denver broncos franchise the family has been infighting a lot and a court has now cleared the path for the sale of the denver broncos which is currently valued at roughly four billion dollars so i think if a sale happens with the Broncos, it will um, it will change up a lot of things. Yeah, um, you know, and the Broncos, I think, are a very appealing franchise to purchase. Um, you know, the future is very bright for them. And um, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Peyton Manning was the new owner of the Broncos and purchased the team. There's, There's been, been some talk about that, actually, about yeah. like, he and Eli trying to save as much money as they could during their playoff playing year so they could form some like type of ownership group so that i mean obviously he wouldn't own it outright he would be part of a group but like just to have a stake in the team and like, he only played with that team for four years but he's had such an impact on that community i mean he took the team to the super bowl twice won it once um restarted his whole career there so it's like he has a uh, a real uh, a real soft spot spot uh, soft spot for Denver but uh, I mean it's unfortunate when you see like when these teams are owned by families and there's a bunch of infighting about who gets control and um, it's um, 
I mean, you never want to see this happening, but at the same point, like at some point, things have to be cleared up because for the better part of the organization and the NFL is on the hook on it on their own. Like they could step in and be like, all right, this enough is enough. Someone has to give and we have, you have to sell the team because we can't have this disrupt the image of the league. Yeah, and um, another candidate to purchase the team is John Elway. Um, there's rumors going around that Manning and Elway are kind of kind of like square off with each other. With their, and they're going to have two different groups that are going to be putting money together to purchase the team. And I think there's a really good chance that there's a there's I would say there's a more than a 60 or 70 percent chance that a deal done for ownership to sell the team could happen as early as March or April since with the new court ruling. So they could start right away. Um, There's six candidates that are up who want to buy the team, but the two of the most notable ones that that fans and people would know um, would be Manning and Elway. And um, Elway already has been with the team for forever. And uh, he seems like the most logical candidate if he could get the group to buy the team. I mean, if you, yeah, if you got a guy like Manning and Elway, then you also have the, at least in the beginning, you'd have the support of the Denver community. It's not some outsider billionaire coming in to buy the team who doesn't know anything about the community or anything about football. These guys have been there. These guys have won championships with the city. So, uh, and they're respected people. So, moving on. Um, so, the guy who used to show up to Super Bowl press conferences only so he wouldn't get fined is now being targeted by Amazon for a Thursday night football studio show, also known as Marshawn Lynch. Better have your skittles ready, Tom. Ha, yeah, um, you know, this, this This makes a lot of sense. After the success of the Manning cast on ESPN. I um, sometimes watch the Manning cast in a, in, um, instead of watching the main ESPN yeah. broadcast sometimes. Yeah, and um, this is the trend sports are going in where, you know, they don't want the old typical crew. They want to have players that they once loved and enjoyed watching, give their thoughts on the game. And Marshawn Lynch arguably has the best personality that we've ever seen in the sport of football, where you just don't know what you're getting out of him. And uh, he's going to get paid a a decent chunk of change by Amazon to um, be an analyst on there. I don't think he I don't think he would be a color commentator. Um, It would hard. It would be hard to imagine that knowing that he doesn't really have a filter. So I think he would more so kind of take the Manning cast role, or maybe they'd call it the Lynch cast or something, you know, halftime of Marshawn Lynch, um, you know, but I think this is a really good idea for Amazon and this is a really good marketing tool uh, for them going forward. Agreed. And uh, I will definitely tune into it if it does go through. So talking about uh, incentives with money, um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight end Rob Gronkowski went into Sunday's game needing seven catches and 85 receiving yards to have earned a million dollar incentive bonus uh, $500,000 $500, for each uh, meeting each of those targets so when the Buccaneers were obviously up large in this game that they had played last week and at one point they were up by 14 and naturally Tom at that point you decide to sit your star players right when you have Tom Brady and um, Mike Evans Gronkowski some of the top players in the league you want to rest them for the playoffs but what did Tom Brady do he said he's not going in he's not going out he made sure that he got his uh, he got his buddy his million dollars and it was only the last um, catch that Gronk got to complete his seven catches came with less than seven minutes to go in the game. So that just shows the dedication and loyalty that these two people have for each other. I mean, Gronkowski was retired before he came to Tampa, right? Before yep. Brady asked him to come to Tampa. He was chilling as a studio analyst, making, making good money, not getting hit around. But his guy called him and asked him to come down, and he came. And it just shows the loyalty that Brady has to his to his buddy that uh, he got him a million dollar incentive. That's just that guy. Yeah, Tyden can't throw the ball to himself. 
yeah, you know, that's just the type of guy Brady is. You know, he 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 takes care of his own and he calls the shots in Tampa Bay. As soon as he he arrived, Brady's calling the shots. Um, because you know, he didn't get that opportunity in New England. Belichick just dismissed him. And Brady, it's just it, this is just who he is. He takes care of his own, even with the whole Antonio Brown incident. Um, before that, I mean, Brady was taking care of Brown. He he let him stay in his um, guest house on um, on his property, and for him until he got back on his feet. Um, Brady and uh, Byron Leftwich, they're two guys who care about incentives. Um, Leftwich is a head coaching candidate, and it's been reported that you know part of his game plans towards the end of the season that he's done the past few years is for his offensive players, he asks them, what do you need? What incentives do you need this week? And he will, um, in, and he will implement that into their game plan to take care of their players. And that just shows the leadership that Brady has and Leftwich has. And that's just what you're going to see out of these type of guys. Um, and, and it's good to see. I think a lot of people around the NFL should kind of take some notes of this is what leadership looks like. And, the, and there's a reason the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl last year, have the league's most arguably the most talented roster, and has still, after losing Godwin and Brown on offense, they still have a chance to win the Super Bowl this year because as just they're so connected as a team. Um, I love this, and um, it'll be interesting to see how the season ends and if they end up on top again. If you ever have the opportunity, you should go on the Twitter and watch the mic'd up for a sideline video of Gronkowski. And he's like, if I don't get this one catch, I'm going to have to find a real job. And he's like, just, and he went up to Tom and he's like, I need one more. And Brady's like, one more catch? He's like, yeah. He's like, I got you. So it's like, I mean, one catch is nothing. You could, as long as it counts as a catch, it could be a one yard gain for all we care. You just yeah. need to catch Because he already got the receiving yardage incentive he just needed one one catch we could do a little shovel pass and be fine but uh it's nice to see that these people care about each other and if you're loyal to each other good things are going to happen if you shows what true friendships about all right we're getting down to the segment here that tom has been itching to talk about all week tom has been unable to contain himself if you have checked his twitter feed um so first we're going to talk about coaches and then we'll in the GMs. So I'm going to lay the rundown here and then Tom will take over. So we have officially, we have eight head coaching opportunities open right now, but more like seven because of the position Las Vegas Raiders have found themselves in. But uh, we'll get down to that when we get to it. So the first one opening, uh, Chicago Bears fired their head coach of four years, Matt Nagy who went 34 and 31 in, in the regular season, 0 and 2 in the playoffs. Denver Broncos fired their head coach three years. Uh, Vic Fangio, who went 19 and 30, no playoff appearances. The most surprising firing, in my opinion, uh, was uh, Miami Dolphins firing their head coach of three years, Brian Flores, who went 24 and 25 with no playoffs. Um, the Houston Texans fired their head coach of one year, David Culley, uh, who went 4-13, and 13, obviously didn't make the playoffs. The Minnesota Vikings, Tom's favorite team, fired their head coach of eight years, Mike Zimmer, who went 72-56 and 56 in a 2-3 and three playoff record. The New York Giants fired their head coach of two years, Joe Judge, who went 10-23 and 23 with no playoffs. The Jacksonville Jaguars fired their head coach of just a mere 13 games in the 18 game season, in the 17 game season. Urban Meyer, who went two and 11, obviously didn't make the playoffs because he can't survive the season. And the Vegas Raiders fired their head coach, John Gruden, his second stint with the team. For, he lasted three years and five games. And a 22 and 31 record with no playoffs. But it'd be important to mention right now that the Raiders are in the playoffs with their interim head coach, Rich Basaccia. So this is why I don't necessarily count the Raiders as a opening because I, in my view, you should hire the interim head coach because he got you 
he saved you from this train wreck that you were on. And um, now we got you to the playoffs and he depends on how far he takes you to. So um, Tom, looking at the total list, I mentioned that the Dolphins were my most surprising uh, choice out of these list here. Did any firing seem to surprise you or were all these what you expected to happen? Uh, yeah, I would say a lot of these were expected. And um, the Flores one does not surprise me after hearing all of the reports that came out. Um, it seemed like it was more so of a culture changer to get him out of there. But based off of just the pure field experience, like the productivity on the field for the past year, two years. Because I Miami, my view, Miami started horrible, right? One and seven, but then they went on another like seven game winning streak. And it's like they were on the edge of making a playoff push. And I'm like, just a team that could have a complete turnaround like that. I've felt that purely based off of coaching and not the extra off the field stuff with the ownership and culture wise, because I felt he was a great coach. But like, I was surprised that. Like, I didn't see a justification to firing him, if you, get what I, if you know what I mean. Like, you may not like a guy, but can you really justify firing him? Yeah, you know, there, there's definitely a difference of being, um, I would say, coaching, winning games, and being productive. And then there's also a different aspect of the humanity, being a human as well. And you need both of those to be a successful head coach in today's game Flores was trending in the right track he's got a 24 and 25 record great you know what he's done is great but he had a bad he, re- he had a really bad relationship with the owner um Stephen Ross I believe it is the owner's name uh back to their very first year Flores wanted to go out and win when he first got hired and ownership wanted them to tank and Flores exceeded expectations and refused to tank even after trading away Minka Fitzpatrick Laramie Tunsil, um, Flores was a great coach, and, and he will be a great hire from a football standpoint. But it's just when when you get into a shouting match match on a consistent basis with your franchise quarterback, um, you butt heads with your general manager, and it was also reported during the season that Brian Flores told Tua Tagovailoa that he wishes that they would have had Mac Jones instead of him. So to me, that's just a bad culture setting there. And that I think that's what ultimately led to the firing of Flores. So hopefully if he gets another job, um, he'll learn from this. And again, it's just from the Belichick tree. It seems like whenever a coach leaves New England and they go to another team, it's just nothing but leaks and bad news and just a bad culture. And they ultimately end up back in New England. Maybe it's Belichick's plan, who knows, but um, I think he's going to land a head coaching job, and I'd put a lot of money on him uh, ending up in Houston. Well, I think Flores was going was gonna to break that trend. I think he was going to become one of those a rare, successful Belichick tree coaches. Going to the point you raised about ownership on the tank, I never understood tanking. I never wanted a team to tank as a fan or anything, I always want, no matter how bad your team is, if they've only won one game, I still want them to come out and win the next game. Like, I don't, draft positions to me don't matter. If, you, if you're a good enough scout or if you're good enough decision maker as a GM, you can either trade up or you'll find a good player late in the round who's still there. Um, tanking has never made sense to me and I never liked it, but... Um, well, I do have one note to add. Um, there is one note, though, real quick, is the reason the owner did want to tank was he wanted the number one overall pick to to land Tua. Tua was the guy early on in the he process. He still got his guy. He still got but the guy. That cha- but when that changed, um, owner wanted to give everything for Joe Burrow. Burrow was their guy. And after not being able to trade up, and they went through the whole pre-draft process, they fell in love with Burrow and Herbert, and then, but the ultimately ownership and everything went with Tua. Again, not Flores' fault. Flores was very vocal about not wanting Tua. He wanted Burrow and Herbert. He wanted to take Herbert at five. General manager Chris Greer, he took Tua instead. So, again, I think Flores was just the odd guy out, and he was basically not a yes man, and that's ultimately why he was fired. 
Well, I think he'll he'll definitely land a spot with other teams because I, I think other teams aren't built the same way the Miami Dolphins are built. Um, the, I think the best type of coach you could have is a guy who's not a yes man. He's a guy who wants to put forth his ideas and w- is willing to um, debate and disagree with you and present differing viewpoints. I mean, that's what I would want in any situation. Yeah, Historically speaking, in any situation, uh, yes men, they don't work out. And if you want someone in leadership, and especially in the leadership of 53 NFL players on a professional football team, that I don't need a, I don't need a yes man leading my team. If I'm an owner, I want a guy who's going to command the locker room, command respect, and be a leader, not just uh, move or, like get bossed around by anyone who comes in their way. Um, the coach to me in this whole list that got the worst treatment by their team was David Culley of the Houston Texans. Houston, if Trenton was here, Trenton would roast them so hard right now. I can tell you that right now, because if anyone's heard him before, Houston was a train wreck to begin with. Houston has this quarterback issue with Deshaun Watson. He was put in a no-win situation to begin with. Like any coach who steps into that is dealing with a bad situation. He got actually towards the end of the season, he actually got decent production out of David Mills, who was their rookie quarterback. I mean, out of all their rookie quarterbacks, of course, you know, Mac Jones is probably the best one uh, compared to the situation he's in. He's with Belichick. He's had a good running game, good, got a good defense. Now he's in the playoffs, and he made the plays where he had to while the other rookie quarterbacks struggled. Towards the end of the season, David Mills stepped up, and he potentially could be a decent option for the Texans going forward if he continues to make that progression. But, like, David Culley was put in a no-win situation in his first time ever being a head coach, and then you get stuck in Houston. What would you expect happening to Houston? 4-13 and compared to Houston and their situation is lucky. Like this could this team could have easily gone oh in seventeen or something to get four wins was something uh, remarkable actually in Houston. Yeah, you know it's it's pretty remarkable the job he did um, with the whole Deshaun Watson situation, refusing to play, then getting all these accusations thrown at him. Um, you know, you lost Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt. And you won the same amount of games as the year before. Before that, the Texans went 4-12 and with Watson and Watt. And David Cooley still ended up winning more games, or the same amount of games, correction. In um, a worse situation. Yeah, in, this, in a very toxic working environment. The situation, he wasn't even the coach they wanted. He you was can, just the only coach that would take the job. You can Exactly. You can argue that the Texans of last year are better than our work. Um, were better than the Texans at this same point this year, like because of just how the overall situation of the team. And that's not, I'm not blaming that on the coach at all. I'm blaming it on the overall organizational standpoint. It's like, um, if you thought the Texans job was undesirable to begin with, and now you come here, especially at, like the, a new coach is going to be afraid they might be the next. Uh, David Culley in the years like, do I really want to be taking a job in Houston? Or just kick me out in one year if we don't like win the Super Bowl. It's like, do I want to be here? Yeah. Um, yeah, as you were saying. He had no chance. I mean, he, he came into the situation and I wouldn't put it past Nick Serio during um, the interview process saying that you're only going to be here for about a year. You're a stopgap option until we can find someone long-term. And David Coley and uh, he, he was a yes man for them, basically. Just whatever you say, I'll do. And uh, eventually, but I mean, something to note is uh, Nick Casario, the GM who took over from New England, he was in the headset all year long talking to David Coley on the sideline from the press box. And he was basically telling him what to do mid-game. He was telling him legal? exactly what. Yeah, it's legal. Uh, Casario did that in New England as well, where they 
when you have the headset on as a coach, you're not talking just to your assistant coaches. You're talking to people up top. You're talking to whoever. You have communication with everybody. I've never heard and, of a GM trying to communicate with, uh, with a coach. Yeah. Most GMs typically let their coaches do the coaching. Good, good, um, good GM. Like, you know, good GM step away. You hire the guy. That's what you're going to do. But when they played New England this year, Casario put in the headset that let New England score. Let them score here. Kind of like the whole tanking thing all over again. And eventually Coley even said in a press conference after the game, saying that, you know, Casario told me that I wanted, you know, he told me to let him score and it was best for that situation analytically. And he's like, and I had a mix up in the headset. And when everyone knows, like, you don't have a mix up in the headset. At the end of the day, you're a coach. You're out there to win. So you'll just do whatever you can to cover yourself. But that just kind of shows the type of environment and the dysfunction that's kind of going on in Houston already. So, I mean, it's not great. And um, I do think that Casario, coming from New England, he's going to hire a New England guy trying to invent a New England-type culture there. So keep an eye on D'Amico Ryans, former New England linebacker, from San Francisco, he's a candidate. Brian Flores is the favorite as of now to land the job. And Josh McDaniels. Those are the three that are probably going to come across nationally as the leading front runners for the job. Casario is going to bring someone from New England. It's just a matter of fact, who? Building that New England culture down in Houston is tried before, and it did not work out with Bill O'Brien as their head coach um so apparently the texans owed david according to nfl networks tom palacero the texans owed david coley another 17 million over the next three years and coley walks away with roughly 22 million for one season as houston's head coach genius that's why it was a no-brainer from the take the job uh it was just, you know, it was never going to work out, and it just shows how dysfunction Houston is, hey, man. We, we're, we're in the world of uh, covering professional sports, right? And these guys are throwing around millions of dollars, right, for uh, contracts and coaches and TV deals and whatnot. We forget at the end, it's always a million. A million is a lot still. Like, yeah. So he walks away with – Roughly twenty-two million for one season. I you could just sit back and retire. Not Pretty that problem. Not that he probably wants to, because he's been around the game forever. But it's like not a bad, not a bad deal with the uh, for him. I mean, unfortunately, he got fired and was put in a no-win situation. But on a money standpoint, um, looking at these. I mean, I don't even want to get into Urban Meyer and the Jaguars. That we've gotten to that yeah, plenty of times over there. Um, and and with Vegas, we uh, basically agreed that they shouldn't just hire the guy they have right now, Rich Passaccia. I mean, he turned the team around. That team was done for. Like it looked like that team was done for. And uh, um, with the Giants, Joe Judge, um, even the owner said like something along the lines of like every week we thought it would get bad and then the next week it just got worse something paraphrasing along those lines yeah. and at that point there is no justification for keeping him um fangio and denver i'd say it mixed results i mean denver's defense was always good but then we traded away your top player and von miller um things happen there and it's just the and there was never a stable quarterback position in Denver and you just can't win that way um okay out of these coaches who have been fired besides Urban Meyer and John Gruden do you see any of these coaches taking on I know you mentioned Flores but like do you see any of these guys getting a head coaching position this year um, if I or do you see them here. taking a coordinator role anywhere, or do you just oh, see them yeah, taking a, do you Fangio, see them taking the year off? Yeah, Fangio and Zimmer will one hundred percent be get they they will land a defense coordinator spot. Um, Fangio is very close with Jim Harbaugh, and he was with them in San Francisco. Because to me, the only the only way um, Rich Bisaccio from the Raiders doesn't keep the job 
is if Jim Harbaugh has legitimate interest. Harbaugh, I, I read some report today that Harbaugh hired some top, I don't know anything about college. I'm, I don't know much about college as people probably know, but I read some report that he hired some top college defensive coordinator on his staff. And now people oh, yeah. are saying they hired a defensive line coach. Yeah, um, so they're saying that it's unlikely now that if Harbaugh hires this top guy and then decides to leave. I mean, if an opportunity presents itself, it might happen, but just to see the moves that are being made in the Harbaugh circle might uh, be suggesting otherwise. Yeah, that's just the hypothetical of, of what's just been kind of talked about for weeks. I personally think he'll stay at Michigan, and I think they're going to rework his deal. This is all just a leverage thing with his agent. But um, Fangio is no doubt going to be the number one defensive coordinator for young minds to kind of bring in for where, whoever gets hired. And Mike Zimmer, he's got Dallas written all over him. He's got, he coached yeah, Deion Sanders in I Dallas back in the 90s. Dan Quinn's getting a head coaching job. He's minus 100. Yeah, he's I, forgot about, I, forgot about, I forgot about all the people who've been out of the league for uh, in uh, coaching positions in the past who've been head coaches. And, um, yeah, Dan Quinn's an option. I think we got to bring back uh, – People have been floating around the name Jim Caldwell, who's been out for a few years. He's a quality guy who deserves another shot, I think. He was yeah, 97 I mean, there's, in the when he got fired. Yeah, you know, there's a difference of deserving another shot and being the right candidate for the job. Well, I'm not, I'm not oh, forcing yeah. him on any team. I'm saying that he should get an opportunity to be interviewed. And if the right team comes up and they feel it's the right fit, than he should, but I'm not even seeing his name being floated for interviews right now. Uh, I mean, he, he came up for the Jaguars job. I mean, once, because there's three three out of the seven or eight teams still need to hire a GM first. Um, and Caldwell's going to get interviews only certainly in, because of the, of the Rooney rule. You need to hire at least two minority candidates. So there's a good chance that he's going to come up in a lot of interviews. And, you know, I just don't think he's almost 70 years old. He's in his mid sixties. Um, he's not going to land a head coaching job as much as like, you know, we would love to see it because you know, what he did with Detroit was phenomenal. What he did with Indianapolis was great. It's just the way the league's going, it's going in a younger direction where they want like Kellen Moore, 33 year old offensive coordinator, one of the hottest names on the market right now. Um, so it's just, it's, uh, like the reason why Fangio and Zimmer were fired, they're old school coaches who can't relate to younger players in today's game. And ultimately what led to them being fired was their inability to adapt and evolutionize to today's NFL. And they're going in a young minded direction. Everyone wants the next Sean McVay, the next Kyle Shanahan, the next Matt LaFleur, you know, that's the direction it's going in where you need re you really need to relate to these players, not more so just as a coach, but as human beings to get the best out of them. So, but out of this list, if I had to say of someone who I think can land a job, um, I don't think Joe Judge will, Urban Meyer won't, Zimmer won't, Coley won't, Gruden won't, Flores will, Flores will. Um, another, a name that might actually surprise a lot of people is Matt Nagy. You know, he, he did have a winning record. He made the playoffs two out of the four years. He won 12 games with Mitch Trubisky. I wouldn't put it past um, John Mara in the Giants ownership to want to hire Matt Nagy, thinking he could get the best out of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. It just seems like a Giants-type move, to me at least. Yeah, but I know at the same point, I think Nagy's smart enough to potentially just take this whole year off. That's what I've been reading that people think he should do. I mean – when you do you really want to go from such a high market football town like Chicago to another high market football town like New York back to back? Let the guy, I think I'd take a, a year off, let him relax with his family, let him just decompress. I mean, there's so much stress being a head coach that, yeah, they might offer it to him, but I, I don't think he, I don't think he would want to want that. I mean, Two head coaches have gone through New York right now trying to deal with Daniel Jones. I don't know what a third is going to do right now. I mean, there's just that he's had those ups, which, 
you see, oh, this guy's pretty good, yeah. but then his lows have been really bad. Reminds like, me a lot of Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. It's probably the best. Baker, Baker, yeah, Baker, Baker's in that. I think Baker's a little more stable. I mean, he's in that position, but he's in a more stable version yeah, of that. But it, it did take till the third coach. Um, because he started off with Hugh Jackson, then he then it went to Brian or uh, Freddie Kitchens, and then they brought in Kevin Stefanski, and yeah. you know, they went to the divisional round. Baker had a very good season, so it I don't know if I'm it just seems like a very like close comparison where if I they bring in the right guy, I get it, but like finding the right guy, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I think all some of these guys are just going to take. Uh, I mean, Urban Meyer is not getting another head coaching job ever. Um, Joe Judge could get a coordinator position. I mean, a lot of this, that's the trend usually, right? You get fired, then you go down, you go get a coordinating job for a couple of years, and then you try to build your way back up, see what you can. Um, let's see, what else is there to talk about with the coaches? Um, do you have favorites for each of these teams who they should take? Um, yeah, I have a few. Um, you know, for the Bears right, job, run, I don't. Let's run through your top. All right. For each team, with a little. Well, I can go through this pretty quickly. Of you know, just looking at these, um, the Bears, I can't make a full assessment because I don't know who the GM is. But if I had to pick a favorite, because I do think the Bears are possibly going to hire John Schoen as GM, and I wouldn't be shocked if he brought um Dable or Leslie Frazier along with him. So I, I, I'm going to go with Bears. I think they might lean towards Leslie Frazier, kind of poach a division rival away because he was with the Vikings for years. Broncos, I think they're going to hire Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn and GM George Patton, sense. they have a relationship a from their days in Miami. And Dan Quinn was in Miami? Yes, he was there as like a coordinator when Patton was a very young like scouter, young executive where I, I'm not exactly sure from the top of my head, but I do know he was in Miami as some type of defensive, either defensive backs coach, defensive line coach, linebackers coach. But that's where Patton and uh, that's where Patton Quinn originally met. So it just makes the most sense. And also in Vegas right now, Dan Quinn is minus 110 to land the job and Vegas typically knows something. So I think that's kind of like a no brainer. Dolphins, I don't – I have absolutely no idea because they just fired Flores. But um, on the all-covered podcast with Patrick Peterson and uh, Darren McKinney or McFadden, uh, he said that he believes that the Dolphins fired Flores for a reason and they're going to make a very surprise hiring that's going to be jaw-dropping. So the first thing that kind of came to my mind was Mike McDaniel from the, Miami, uh, from the San Francisco 49ers. He's our offensive coordinator and run game coordinator, and he's very young. He's like 38 years old. He looks he, he looks like he just he, – he looks like a guy that's going to play Halo at 2 in the morning, drink some Mountain Dew. Like that's just the personality he has where he, he looks like he's like a high school guy. Um, but he's very knowledgeable in the game of football. So that's kind of where I think they might go find someone that could really relate to the players, um, be a player-friendly coach, the opposite of Brian Flores. Vic, uh, Texans, I mentioned earlier, McDaniels, Flores, Ryans. It's someone from New England, I think, who Casario is going to lean on. Vikings, um, that's my team. Again, their ownerships, they're going by the books. They're doing the GMs first. There's been rumors, though, that they are talk that they're going to eventually talk to Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson's willing to wait out for the Vikings job, according to reports. Doug Peterson and Kellen Moore are the two coaches that are intrigued by the Vikings and will wait it out if they have to. Um, and there's been connections to the college ranks of Lane Kiffin or uh, Matt Campbell from Iowa State. So, again, Vikings, there's no tell until they hire a GM. Giants, again, got to hire GM first. Um, but Flores comes to mind. I would say Flores comes to mind. I've said Matt Nagy. Um, Jaguars, um, I've heard rumors that Bill O'Brien is someone who they really like. I know. And he would, and uh, apparently during the interview process, 
Bill O'Brien is going to be telling ownership that he's already secured Vic Fangio as his defensive coordinator to try to um, persuade them in that process. You know, I don't think the Khan family needs much persuasion because they, the whole Urban Meyer fiasco. I think but, that would uh, actually make them more cautious because they exactly. don't want to repeat that again. Exactly. Um, to me, Jaguars, I think if you're going to hire a guy, you, you you need a culture setter, someone who's completely opposite of Urban Meyer. It's not It's got to be Byron Leftwich. I would Bill say Leftwich is the guy. Leftwich could be. Could he be played for them. He's from, you know, he, he, he played for them. Uh, I believe that's the team that drafted him. So he's been with the organization before, and I think he get he could get the most out of Trevor Lawrence. Um, Raiders job, I think it's got to be Rich – um, it's got to be Versace, yeah. yes, Rich Versaccia. It's got to be him, unless they're going big fish hunting for like a Jim Harbaugh. But I think I mean, you by know, the time you go ten and seven. I mean, you go ten you, and seven. You don't and, know how far they're going to get in the playoffs, too. Like, uh, I mean, because again, it's the playoffs now, so we're throwing. I'm throwing all the records out. We're just going week by week. So let's assume. Let's just assume they make it championship round. Okay. Oh, he's good. I'm just – he's good, but it's like at that point, like, who do you have left to pick? Because probably most of these teams have picked up the top guys already. So it's like you can't really – and they can't – I don't think they can really – can they interview people? Because their head coaching job technically is filled. Like, you can't really be interviewing people unless you have an opening. Because right now they don't have an opening. Officially yeah. do, but technically they don't. It just depends of is what kind of contract is he under? Is he on an expiring deal? Does he have multiple years left? Um, they, I mean, they can't if, he inter- a, if he's a head coach, they'd probably give him a new deal. Well, if he's they are going to give a new deal to an interim guy because, you know, that's why he's the interim and not head coach. He's the interim head coach. Um, I think besides, I mean, I assume he has a multi-year deal, so he'll be in place now, but they could still fire him. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to. I mean, I think he's earned it. We saw, I mean, that Chargers game alone, I would say, um, sealed it for him. If they would have lost that game, I think there's an argument of being a seventh seed and barely getting into the playoffs and all that. Like, like there's like an argument to fire him at that point. But I think you're 10 and seven. You had to take over an ugly situation for John Gruden. And then you had to deal with the whole Henry Rugg situation, and you somehow still got your team to the playoffs with an impressive 10 and 7 record. Um, yeah. I think he's locked that up. He's definitely locked it up. And there's no reason for them to look anywhere else unless you can land a Jim Harbaugh, which he's not leaving Michigan. So I think you get you need to stay the course and see this thing through. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't pan out, then you just move on the next year. Exactly. But um all right, I think that's a good enough where we're at uh, coaching. I mean, this all just took place this week, so we'll be following this throughout the rest of the weeks to get the um, lay of the land where people – no one's hired anyone yet. Everyone's still in the initial interviewing process. And the good thing – one good thing about being online is that you can interview like 10 guys in a day, just sit at your desk and crank through interviews, and then we'll see who they start bringing in for actual in-person interviews because then – in person, you get to see who the guy really is and um, just get a better feel for who you are as a leader. Um, moving on to, we'll keep this quick because we kind of roughly yeah. glossed over this in it. Um, general managers openings, uh, the Chicago Bears fired Ryan Pace, the Minnesota Vikings fired Rick Spielman, and the New York Giants uh, previous GM, Dave Gettleman, retired. So we have three openings of head coaching. Um, I ask you this, looking at the teams overall, which is the most attractive position for anyone who would want to become a head coach? Anyone? You know, I think it's pretty obvious that the Vikings are the most desirable spot for GM and head coach. It's been reported that nationally, just because Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer they were part of that organization for a really long time and they mm-hmm. built contenders year in year out, whether or not you were a championship contender, you could still write in eight, nine wins every year. And Spielman, Spielman was with the organization for 16 years, 16 years. You know, it's not very often you see a guy get fired 
after being with an organization for that long, they typically step down or move up to a higher role, which gets me to my next point is there was reports going all the way back to ESPN, Jeremy Fowler, two months ago that Rick Spielman is going to stay with the organization. Okay. Rick Spielman staying with the organization. He's just going to move up to a higher role, like similar to what John Elway did with the Broncos. And then out of nowhere, the Vikings fired both Zimmer, which was expected, but they fired Rick Spielman, which just blindsided everybody. Because ownership loves Spielman. My thinking is that, I mean, think of Chicago, though. The ownership had a good relationship with Ryan Pace, right? They, they were, again, when we think about these people, these are all good people, except for John Gruden, Urban Meyer. Um, these are all good people. It's just that it comes to a business decision. And you get close with these people. They become, you work with them day in and day out, all year long. And they become like your family because they basically are. So it's like trying to move on from these is one of the hardest things ownership has to do. But like um, like you said, with Rick Spielman, keeping him in a higher position would have been the logical guess for anyone. But at the same time, for, the new, for any new GM that comes in, that kind of like that cloud of the past yeah. is like literally right above you. Cause he's like, like he, you potentially, well, I don't know how this, the organizational structure, but like um, you potentially would have to like report to him or something. Like I know with the bears, yeah. they've changed up their structure so that the new GM who comes in will not be reporting to the president. He'll be reporting straight to ownership. It used to be like he used to. They're going to report to the president, who then reports to the owner. They're going straight to, because a lot of people had complaints about the president of the Bears, who's been around for like twenty three years. Yeah, and um, his decision making. So he's more taking. He'll be taking more of an actual like administrative viewpoint on things, because there's still that potential new stadium acquisition and all these fun things. So he'll be taking that role. So the GM will be directly reporting to uh, the McCaskey family, George McCaskey, in, in ownership capacity. So I don't know about what the Minnesota structure is, but just like keeping someone of the past who's been there for so long in a higher position, that whole cloud of every move I make could be judged by my predecessor who's still walking yeah. the building every day, who probably thinks that he could have still done the job, even though apparently couldn't anymore so yeah. it's like just keeping that around i don't i wouldn't like that like would you if you were in a job and the guy you come in to replace is still there every day it's like it would, it would be pretty awkward so yes it would and but the main reason why i think the rick spielman firing was so surprising was because the ownership they've basically relied on him since they bought the team Like Spielman was in charge of like everything where they let him be in charge of all football operations, Vikings ownership. They don't even live in Minnesota. They live in New Jersey. So they're not even in the building every day. They always just had Rick, you know, you handle it. He did everything. And they probably felt comfortable in the position now to take over. He was blindsided. Yeah, he was absolutely blindsided. I talked to um, the lead beat writer from, uh, the Star Tribune in Minnesota, he's very plugged in with the team. And he told me via email that Spielman was absolutely blindsided by the news. He came in Monday morning. So he, he walked his dog early in the morning. He did his normal routine. He came into the building under the impression that, you know, he already expected Zimmer to get the news. Zimmer, you're fired. He did not expect to also get called into the office and be let in basically they ownership told him you've been relieved of your duties as well. And we're just moving in another direction. He was blindsided and utterly shocked by the decision because they had ownership had Rick Spielman. I kid you not all of last week calling potential agents to bring in head coaching candidates. So his job was safe. I don't know what changed, what ultimately led to the dismissal, but apparently it was just they had enough of the losing seasons and they wanted to hit they wanted just a clean house hit a reset and now they've 
we got eight candidates for the job that they've requested. And they've even set up a search team led by CEO or COO Andrew, um, Andrew Miller. So that's what happened. And it's going to be interesting. It's the cost of doing business in the NFL. Um, the giant Dave Gettleman going to keep this quick. Um, he was going to be gone if he didn't retire because, uh, New York was a mess in general and they just needed a, a full house cleaning. That's what I'm going to leave it at. Um, not surprised at all. Um, again, we'll follow this like we've been following the coaches and we'll continue to talk about it as the offseason continues to progress. Um, interesting games from the past week. There's only one game that needs to be talked about, and that was the Chargers at the Raiders. I mean, I've never seen a game like this in my life, ever. And I watched – I didn't even watch maybe the middle portion of the game. But when I turned the game back on towards the end of the fourth quarter – and then you realize that this game could potentially go in overtime. I my mind was going straight to what are Steelers fans thinking right now? Because they're thinking one way or another, we can get in. And and the game goes to overtime. And then the game comes like it just keeps going and going and it got closer and closer and closer to a tie. And in the end, the Raiders kicked that field goal to win the game and send the Chargers home. I mean, apparently what happened in the end of the game, Tom, I bet you know, because you probably watched the game, was uh, the Chargers called that timeout at the end. And then that – now, I don't know. A lot of people are saying that that kind of caused a spark for the Raiders to just decide to go ahead and try to go for the field goal. And that was discussed according to Rich Passaccia in, in his press conference. He said that was an option. But Chargers head coach Brandon Staley said that apparently he didn't have the right defensive like personnel, personnel on the field at, the right, at that time. So that's the reason he called a timeout, which in a coach's situation, you could think of it that way. But again, your opponent... I don't think your opponent realizes that in the in the game moment. So you could have taken it as a kind of like an offensive move. It's like, like what are you doing? Like we're trying to end this game in a tie so that we both can go to the playoffs. Like we're helping you here. Like why are you taking this timeout to stop the game? Are you planning to scheme something up? But um, again, in football, the number one rule is to win the game by any means necessary, but at the same time, this could have been an exception because both teams would have made it in the playoffs, which you don't see that happening. Like, But uh, just only imagine what Steelers fans are thinking, and I'm glad Steelers made it in because, like, they, again, talked about earlier, they had those, like, four or five different scenarios that had to happen, and every single one of those actually happened. And you, it's very rare that you see that coming together and especially one of them was the Colts had to lose to the Jaguars which was really unlikely but it happened and it was made for an exciting football game at the end of the season it did and um, I think a tie was on the table simply just because I say you know it was just it was getting to the point where when you're going back and forth so many times you just want to save bodies but um, when, when, Brandon, when Brandon Staley called the timeout simply to stop the run, you know, he didn't like the play that was called in the way the personnel was set up. But either way, they didn't stop the run. Uh, but, you know, it, it wouldn't have mattered. And I think when you have the most clutch kicker, arguably, in the NFL this season, and Daniel Carlson, I don't know if they would have taken a knee. I think even if it was like a 60-plus yard field goal, I think they would have just wished it well. And whatever happens, happens. He makes it or he misses it. Worst case, we tie. And – Again, Daniel Carlson's phenomenal. Uh, he's had game, eight game winners this year. And the, the overall game, I mean, I think that game, my takeaway from the game, it was nothing to do with the tie or getting to play or anything, is just how clutch Justin Herbert is. He converted five fourth downs on, on that one, on like the final drive to tie the game. He's something clutch, extending the play. I mean, just seeing the growth of like a 24-year-old quarterback in the NFL is just it it's just breathtaking to see 
someone that talented for an organization that hasn't had someone who's got that, like, who's just that guy. Like, Philip Rivers was great, but he was a stat pattern. He was never a top-tier guy. He was in, like, that top 10 to 12 area every year where you didn't necessarily have to worry about him making the play or, like, making a deep run in the playoffs. But he, he was a great guy to have. But Herbert's just – he's that guy. He's a once-in-a-generation talent. He is the dude going forward, and he's the future of the league. And overall, it was just a great game, and it sucks not seeing the Chargers in the playoffs, but I think the Raiders made the right call to run it, go for it, and kick the field goal. You do not want Justin Herbert or any of those guys near the playoffs. And Steelers, let them in, their first-round exit. They're done. So it, I think the Raiders ultimately made the right call for them as, as a team going into the playoffs. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, we're getting close to the end here. Um, let's try to make our wild card preview picks here. Um, Trenton isn't here this week, but he did send in his picks in advance. So just looking at the overall records here since we started the show, I know, Tom, you joined us kind of late in the season, so we don't have an overall record for you, but this was the week that I finally surpassed Trenton in the overall picks. I have a five-game lead. I'm 164, 107, and 1. Trenton is 159, 112, and 1. So going to the first game of the week, Raiders and Bengals, who are you taking, Tom? Bengals are going to win the first playoff game since 1992. <laughs> uh, Jamar Chase, Burrow, they're hot right now. Just makes the most sense. Raiders, I'm not sold on them as a team that could go on the road and actually make a big-time playoff run. So I'm going Cincinnati. I'm going the Raiders, Tom. Just taking – I just feel that uh, the Raiders probably are the overall better team. I know the Bengals have been lighting it up offensively with statistically and – been playing top-notch football. I just think that the Raiders are coming off of that electric w- win a week ago. I think it's the right time for them. Um, Patri- uh, Trenton took the Bengals. Uh, moving on to Patriots and Bills. I got to go Bills. Um, I think they're the best in the AFCs. Josh Allen, I think, is the most complete quarterback in all of football. Mac Jones is not going to be Josh Allen in a shootout. And last time these two teams played in Buffalo, it was the wind game where it was just all windy, cold. Mac Jones threw it three times. You know, Mac Jones is going to have to throw it more. And the Bills are hot right now. So I think Bills are the team to go with right here. The weather conditions are going to be roughly the same. Maybe not as windy. It's going to feel like negative 10 degrees at kickoff from what I've been reading. Uh, I'm taking the Patriots. Um, I just feel like the Patriots are the one team we can't really count out. And I think because uh, they got Bill Belichick as their head coach. So uh, Trenton is also taking the Patriots. Yeah, let's see if Bill Belichick could win a playoff game without Brady. Yeah. Speaking of Brady, Eagles at Buccaneers. I'm taking the Bucks. So this game's going to be closer than people think. Uh, I'm telling you right now. But uh, Tom Brady's not losing. It's, I got to go Bucks. Eagles. Good team, about a year or two away. Don't even know if Hurts is their quarterback going forward. So um, I think you you don't bet against Tom Brady at home. So I'm going Bucks. Yeah, Trenton also took the Bucks. Uh, 49ers and Cowboys. Oh, this is tough. Cowboys offensively aren't the same since losing Michael Gallup. Jimmy G's been pretty clutch with the Niners. Uh, when I don't know who I want to go with, I go with the home team. So I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Um, I think I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo could beat Prescott in a shootout. So um, I think I got to go Cowboys here. I'm taking the Niners. I just feel like I have a better feeling for the Niners overall than I do with the Cowboys. Um, Cowboys historically have been inconsistent. They've always had good offensive numbers, but just the team overall, um, not 100% sold. Uh, Trenton is taking the Cowboys. Uh, last two games here, Steelers and Chiefs. This game's going to be ugly. Steelers have no business being in the playoffs. I view this as a bye week for the Chiefs. They played a few weeks back, and Chiefs handled them pretty easily. Um, 
just Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if he's ever lost a playoff game that wasn't the Super Bowl. He's been to the Super Bowl uh, two of the last three years. So um, I think the Chiefs are the no-brainer pick here, and I think they're the easiest game to pick this weekend. I'm also picking the Chiefs, even though if the Steelers do win, I would not be opposed to that. I would, I'd, I'd like to see them win, but I'm trying to preserve my record here, so I'm going to go with the safe bet and choose the choose the Chiefs. Trenton is also picking the Chiefs. Last, uh, sorry, last game Monday night, um, the very first Monday night football game, Cardinals at Rams. I'm taking the Cardinals. I kind of want to go with the Cardinals. I really do. Um, I don't trust Matthew Stafford in the playoffs. Uh, any big-time game, Stafford typically lets everybody down. He's mm-hmm. looked really rough lately. But, but, I mean, Kyler Murray has not looked the same since his injury. Um, I, I think he's still playing with that ankle injury. Oh, this is tough. Um, I, I, I'm going with the home team. I'm going with Rams. I think Akers coming back at 100% is going to pay dividends for them. And I think all the home teams are going to win this weekend simply because I just think ultimately they're the better team. So I, I got, I got to go Rams. They got a top five defense, top five offense. Um, Stafford might lose them this game, but the defense I think keeps the Cardinals in check. I'm going Rams. Trenton and I are both taking the Cardinals. So this will be a fun show to discuss next week. And uh, it's time for playoffs, man. So we will see where this all takes us with the head coaching search, the news that comes up with it, and how these games end up playing each other out. Um, so we did it, Tom. So thanks, everyone, for listening to the Body Laces podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. We hope you have a great rest of your week. Don't forget to follow us at Bill Mallard 15 Trenton underscore Cito and Thomas Gorski 33. Please stay safe and enjoy the start of the playoffs.